Hello and welcome to the first episode of the British Society of Hearing Aid Audiologists' brand new podcast, Ear Talk. This episode features an interview with Dr. Gareth Smith, who is a consultant clinical audiologist and the deputy manager at Southend University Hospital. Here, we discuss breakthrough progress, which was made by a study on audiologist-led screening for acoustic neuromas, with which Gareth was heavily involved. The interview also features advice on how to progress your career in audiology, how to build successful audiology teams, and how to implement effective and progressive change in our industry. I'm your host and BSHAR Council member, Elizabeth Adesheva. Now, let's go straight in to the interview. Hello, Gareth. Hi, Elizabeth. Uh, welcome. Thank you for being our very first guest on the BSHAR podcast, Ear Talk. Um, it's really good to have you. Thank you for inviting me. I feel both honoured and slightly petrified that I'm the first person out (laughs) in the box. Yes, thank you. We are really delighted to have you. First of all, I um, have known you since about 2008. Um, We did some postgraduate studies together, Um, but I think it'd be lovely to um, introduce people listening to you a bit further. Could you tell us um, how you began your career in audiology? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, so I am at Southend Hospital and have been um, for 23 years now. Um, I started actually in ophthalmology um, and needed a new job at sort of 18, 19 and sort of fell into audiology um, more than anything else. There was two jobs at the local hospital, one in cardiology, one in audiology, and I applied for the audiology one and very luckily managed to get that job. Um, and that was really the start of my career, um, which has been supported the whole time by the, the team at Southend. Oh, well, that, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Um, it's, it's really nice when, when you have some support as you go, go through your career and you have developed your career into a really, you know, you know forefront, I would say, um, that you are um, quite forefront in audiology at the moment. And we are so proud of, of all that you're doing and all that you're d- doing to support our uh, career and our industry in general. Thank you. I've had lots of um, opportunities uh, along the way that I have managed to be able to capitalise on, um, both for myself and I feel that putting back into Uh, The profession um, uh, is a good way to repay um, all of the opportunities that I've been been given over the years. That's really good. And that's actually very interesting. I think that's actually uh, quite a helpful comment in general. Just is it possible? Do you think you could tell us a little bit more about how you feel you've been supported in audiology over the years? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, first of all, in terms of uh, uh, education, formal education, um, the, the department that I work in um, has taken me through um, the BAT part one and part two and an MVQ for those old enough to remember that route into the profession. Um, and then as I wanted to progress academically, they then supported me through a postgraduate certificate 
a master's degree and then the, the AUD, the, the doctorate. Um, and they have really helped my career along, not just in terms of the, the clinical academic application of them, but with a broader view of, um, of, of audiology around the world and also of healthcare and healthcare professionals and our interaction with patients. And whilst the department um, has paid for that, um, uh, acad uh, that, that academic work, um, it's also supported by a whole group of um, professionals, mentors, uh, friends over the years that have um, uh, given both professional support, academic support, and when things aren't always quite going as they should be, uh, a little kick to keep me going in the right direction. Oh, that, that, that's amazing. Do you have any advice on in terms of how people um, could get themselves involved with, because that's something I don't think we discuss very much in audiology, sort of having a mentor um, or having some sort of, uh, you know, pathway to improving your skills and your education and so on. Do you have any advice on, um, on things that people could do to, to, you know, put themselves, you know, on that pathway? So I think the, the first thing to, to really do is 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 build a network. It is to attend um, where we can um, events um, that are put on for us professionally, because then you start to get to know people around you, people with um, similar interests um, and those with differing interests, because they can also lead us down useful paths. Um, so build that network of people around you, um, and then find like-minded people to then start that peer-to-peer -peer interaction with. Um, so that can be through professional societies or through informal um, informal networks where you may know somebody in a different department, a different um, clinic um, that you can then bounce ideas off of. Um, and that informal peer interaction is really healthy um, especially if you can find people who uh, know you well enough that can tell you um, when your bad ideas are bad ideas um, and when your good ideas are good ideas, um, but also to give you something else to think about. So using professional networks um, and building informal networks is how I would say to, to start that sort of process. That, that's great. What kind of... Um professional networks would you advise uh, would you say LinkedIn or what what kind of networks would you say are good for audiologists in general so things like LinkedIn and social media are very good um, to reflect your own thoughts so you sort of tend to find from those the things that you were already thinking and you, you sort of take that evidence and, and use it um, the things that I think are um, things like professional meetings for B-Sharp, for BAA, for BSA. Um, uh, they are good places where you get to know people. Audiology is a very small world. Um, and it, it, if you go to a couple of those kind of face-to-face -face events, when, once we can again, um, then uh, you know, that's a really good way to, to build your network. Things like LinkedIn have their place but LinkedIn is more, certainly for me, about um, knowing who's out there, who's who's around, um, and sharing and, and reposting 
uh, evidence and interest, but you, it's not a it's not particularly a two way process. It, it's a very one way process, or it can be. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely right. Uh, thanks. I think that people will find that very very helpful. Actually, now. One of the things I really wanted us to delve in in today's conversation started uh, when I was actually in a meeting at uh, the Royal Society of uh, Medicine in London in 2018. There was a consultant there. I think at, at the time she was a registrar at your husp- at your hospital, uh, Southend Hospital, Yasmin Abbas, and um, she was talking about a project that was going on at the time, a four-year study on audiologist-led screening for acoustic neuromas. Now, I was incredibly excited to hear someone talking about audiology and pushing our industry uh, forward at that meeting. But also, I was incredibly proud to know or to find out that you were the main, you were the lead audiologist on that project. So can you tell us how you got involved with that study in the first place. Obviously, we want to know all about it, but if you start with telling us how you got involved in that project um, and kind of what happened through the study. Okay, so this this beautifully segues to all the things that we've just been talking about. Yes. Without, <laughs> without you knowing it, Elizabeth. So um, the, the, the MRI for audiologists started um, actually 10, maybe even 12 years ago. Um, And I uh, carried out an audit in our department to look at what were the, what was holding up clinics um, for our new referrals from the GP. And the main thing that um, was delaying audiologists getting on with things um, was us waiting to speak to a junior doctor um, about requesting an MRI. Um, for patients with asymmetrical hearing. And the way this would go is that we would stand at the door with the audiogram in our hand. We would go into the SHO at the time, um, the most junior member of the team. We would show them the audiogram and say, do you think this patient needs an MRI? Now, the whole point of us going in there is that we already thought this patient needed an MRI. So what we were really doing is asking that, that doctor to to reinforce our our view and organize that for us. So I was then on um, my master's degree in advanced clinical practice and I talked to some nurses and some physios about how they were managing the same situation. And what they said is that they had pre-signed cards. So the MRI request form was pre-signed by a consultant and then they would write in it what they wanted the patient to have the the scan, which scan they wanted and where. And I thought this was crazy. So I then came back with a project to look at why can't audiologists request MRI scanning? And it turns out that basically because we'd never asked, nobody actually asked that question. So I worked with the consultants, the radiology team, our team, um, to look at the criteria literature search to look at a a criteria for us to use um, to scan against Um, and we agreed that that criteria um, and it went through and we started the scanning process and what I've I've been doing since the very start of that was was keeping the positive findings so we knew 
um, what it was that we we could then forward audit. We could we could look at how many and what was the characteristics of those those patients. Yasmin then um, joined us as a registrar at one point. It was looking for a project to to do to to publish, and I said to Yasmin, I've got a whole bunch of data on MRI that I just I don't have the time to publish this to write it as a study and there's been many studies published on MRI uh, in itself um, so what we wanted to look at was actually was it a cost-effective model and Yasmin picked that up and really run with it and that's the the result the presentation you then saw um, at the RSM um, was about cost-effectiveness of of audiologists requesting MRI scans within a very uh, clear, defined pathway. So uh, that really shows you the whole thing there. So as we were talking about before, there's your education, you're looking outside of audiology to see what, what's happening, um, a bit of innovation in there in, in how things are done, and, and a good network of, of colleagues um, and professionals. And we, we put this out across the whole department and it really took some time for everybody to really embed in the team um, how we were going to do this. Um, but actually now, 12 years later, this has become our routine practice. Nobody even thinks about it as advanced practice anymore. It's just what we do. Now, Gareth, I think that's a really, really good example um, of the importance of uh, keeping evidence, uh, performing audits in our practices and being very confident about our abilities as audiologists. You know, you've proved um, that, you know, with you initiating a project like that, you have actually put forward um, a new way of working, not just for you, but for a whole, the entire audiology pathway in your hospital. Now, I have a very important question to ask. Do you think that it is um, there are any possible obstacles or challenges as to why this may not be extended to other hospitals? If so, how do you think that we can overcome them? So the, the real crux of the understanding of this, this project um, was uh, about relationships. And so my, my boss in my department has actually done a PhD, basically um, based on this project um, and looking at um, why some departments are able to implement innovation and why others struggle to implement innovations um, in their routine practice. Um, the biggest thing with this was not about a protocol uh, per se, um, uh, and there are there is, this is now written into the NICE guidelines as a as a potential pathway. Um, it's about relationships. Um, it's about building relationships with your ENT teams um, so that there is a mutual uh, respect, a mutual trust between yourselves and your ENT team. Um, because the scans that we request are requested against an ENT consultant because a medic has to look at those. At the end of the day, they are the ones that will, will make a decision um, and will deal with incidental findings. So their relationship is key. And if you don't have that relationship, if you don't have that mutual respect, then this kind of project won't get embedded very easily. Um, it would take a lot longer for it to, to happen. Um, so 
making sure that you um, work with your ENT teams, that you are um, have that relationship with them, um, that you attend their audit sessions where possible, that you share your knowledge and learning and understanding with them and ask them to do the same for you is a great way to, to build that relationship. So these, we're cross-working, and this really is cross-working, um, uh, where those, where, where you can really embed that into, into practice because you've got the relationship to do that. And it's not just about the relationship with the ENT team, it's about the relationships within your own team um, because you have to um, be able to work with people when it goes wrong, improve their education, um, uh, and bring them along on this this journey to use that word, but to, to this journey to implement new pathways. But now, Gareth, that is just so perfect. Thank you so much. That is so informative. It's uh, you know, it's enlightening as well. And I, 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 I couldn't have said it better myself to lead on to my next question, actually, which is now I have actually heard so much good feedback from you, not, um, I mean, first of all, from your team, um, it's constantly, they're constantly out there on social media, acknowledging you and uh, appreciating you for, for how well you, 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 you bring them together. But also, even at the talk I mentioned earlier at the Royal Society of Medicine, the ENT consultant there had nothing but praise for you about, you know, and obviously that that obviously is linking with the relationship that you have just discussed. Now, can you tell us, I know that this is all you've already, you know, you've hinted on this, what makes your team work so well? And um, can you give us any advice on how to build successful audiology teams? How do we build these relationships? Okay, so um, I obviously paid uh, them very well to, <laughs> uh, to be nice about me. Um, the, 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 there's, there's, a, there's lots of things that, that make up a, a good team. Um, and in our case, certainly the recruitment process is that we recruit people that fit well into our, into our team. And, that, and that's not hard science. That's a very soft um, thing about who, who will work well. Now, that's not about having the same types of people it's actually about having different types of people and recognizing the value that different types of people bring to your team so you need you need leaders you need workers you need innovators uh, you need data people you need followers um, but recognizing those skills in people and bringing those skills out um, is really important to gelling your team together one of the big things that we have as a team um, is that no blame culture so if something does go wrong we're not looking to blame somebody for that going wrong we're looking to understand and learn from that so we don't repeat that mistake and equally when things go right we want to also share how that went right why it went right and and um, how we can replicate that going right in, into the future. So uh, I think that relationship thing is, is absolutely key, but sharing um, your um, enthusiasms, your education, your willingness to learn, as well as um, to be taught 
um, across the whole team at all levels um, is really important to, to build a team that's going to work together. No, that is, um, that's just great. Thank you so, so much. Um, it's really helpful information and I'm sure that many of our listeners would find that very useful as well. Just um, moving on slightly from there, where would you say that you see or well, you hope to see audiology in the near future? What do you see um, as a future for audiology? What do you hope for audiology in the future? Um, I would like to see, and this is uh, quite controversial probably, um, it is for a united profession um, across all of the, the ways that we deliver services. Um, so be it NHS, be it private, be it chain, um, independent um, uh, research, um, academia, that we're all working together um, and that we're all pushing in the same direction. Um, I think at the moment um, it's, it's confusing for patients, for uh, practitioners to sort of know who we are and where we're, where we're going. Uh, and I think as professionals, we can support much better understanding of us um, and, a, and a respect and an understanding for what we do amongst our, our peers um, and the, the wider healthcare environment. Yeah, thank you. Thank you uh, again, Gareth. That is very helpful. And I'm ho- I also hope that we would have a united um, audiology group in the near future. Now, I have one last question. What do you find interesting um, or what's interesting you the most at the moment in our industry? Um, what's it? Well, uh, the, I'm, I'm gabbling because I find our industry so interesting <laughs> on so many levels. Um, uh, one of the things at the moment that, that is, is pressing um, is certainly pressing for me um, is is remote working um, and the the results of the pandemic, which I think have pushed uh, audiology practice along by probably ten years. Um, we are always quite uh, slow adopters um, of new ways of working, and I think this has the pandemic has hugely accelerated um, that that. The, the remote process. So I'm, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in trying to get that right for patients um, without losing our identity and professionalism within that remote care um, arena. Um, I'm interested, uh, very interested in um, kids and access to an understanding what kids want out of hearing aids. Um, we often focus on academic progression and academic access and teachers, um, but there's this big, the rest of their lives that we don't seem to focus on very much. I've got a little project in the back of my mind around about around children and hearing aids and music and and uh, um, uh, and teenagers, um, so that interests me. Um, and I'm always interested in, inv- uh, in um, advanced clinical practice. Um, what is it that we 
as audiologists can do within the, the scope of our our practice and what is it that we we aren't doing at the moment but we could be doing um soon um so one of uh, your listeners may be aware of the project around clinical scientists and prescribing um and whilst clinical scientists um, clinical science is a small part of the audiology world at the moment it sort of is a gateway to start thinking about what else we could do um, and where prescribing might be useful for, for in audiology um, departments and teams and clinics um, so there, there's just there's three things straight off the top of my head that are interesting me at the moment oh yes they're absolutely absolutely spot on in terms of virtual care are we are we going to be a virtual group? Is that going to be sustainable? Is that possible? Can we find a right balance? Um, these are all very interesting things uh, to look forward to. And you've given us a lot of food for thought as well um, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of paediatrics. Yes, I do agree that there's probably is more that we could do. And yes, I am so grateful for you today. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And um would you like to uh, leave just maybe one piece of advice for audiology? I know that you, you promote and you support um, clinical research, uh, particularly uh, with audio, in audiology, obviously. And um, I don't know if you have any advice that you want to leave as a final note uh, before we uh, finish this, po- uh, this podcast. Um, uh, one of the things that uh, probably is worth putting out there and promoting is about education. Um, and about ensuring that you actively participate um, in education. Um, I am probably preaching to the choir if you're listening to to this because you're already interested in in education and keeping yourselves involved. Um, But if you have colleagues that you know that are are more on the fringes, um, I would say um, uh, in inverted commas adopt them for, for education purposes. Start every now and again sending them a research article that's come up your way that you might find interesting um, and see if you can hook them into thinking about evidence-based practice um, if they're a reluctant reader of education give them a little summary every now and again send them something over and say have you read this this is a really interesting paper so that that's probably um, a, a very easy thing for people to do because you guys are going to be more interested because you're listening to this and see if you can hook some other people in to bring along along with you thank you what a wonderful way to end our, our first podcast thank you so much gareth um, and obviously the podcasts are here to improve education as well so thank you for all your support um, with bshar in general with all most of our educational events and again for being our very first speaker so thank you again and um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day thank you very much again thank you for the invite thank you for joining us today I personally took away a number of nuggets from that interview and I hope you did too we look forward to having you join us in the next episode for some more ear talk